Hello, and welcome to the Track Quest Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr, and today I'm in beautiful, rainy Reedsport, Oregon, the original home to Blacktail Bows. Joining me today is my friend and mentor, Norm Johnson. Hi, Norm. How are you today? I'm good, James. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm wonderful. I, I always love coming over to Norm's place. Uh, we're sitting in his office right now and covered with heads and horns and bows of all different kinds, and it's uh, it's always uh, great to be here. Um, why don't you uh, just go ahead and give yourself an introduction and tell us uh, you know, a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm 54 years old now. Started bow hunting when I graduated high school in 1981. Actually started with a compound bow I found in a hole-in-the-wall sporting goods store. Uh, shot that bow for several years, uh, just with fingers and no sights. And then uh, in 1986, I met... Uh, Jim Brackenberry. He was in Gresham, Oregon at the time, and we quickly became friends. I purchased a recurve from Jim and uh, began shooting traditional equipment back then. And um, and you went to uh, you went to school and grew up where? I grew up in uh, a little town of Goble, Oregon. Uh, went to high school in Rainier, Oregon, which is six miles up the road. It's up in the northeast corner of Oregon. It's about uh, 40 miles west of Portland, Oregon. So on the coast? Not quite on the coast, but on the Columbia River. On the Columbia River, yep. okay. Yep. Great uh, elk and deer habitat there. I grew up on the Columbia River salmon fishing, duck hunting, and everything that the, the river could do. It was kind of a lifestyle. So. And uh, you mentioned Jim Brackenberry. Um, uh, he's kind of a legend here in Oregon, and he, uh, he, he has passed. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Jim and how you got to know Jim and how he uh, you know, influenced you into traditional archery? Well, I had heard of Jim through uh, some friends that had purchased bows and uh, called him on the phone. He invited me to his place in Gresham, Oregon, where he was building the bows at the time. Uh, I drove up there. Uh, met with him and uh, was going to order a bow, but he had a few in stock, so I purchased a bow on the spot that I shot well, and, and we began to visit. Had some mutual friends. Um, he knew at that time, by then I was uh, working for Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife on a fish hatchery near Astoria, Oregon, and in the middle of great elk hunting in the Saddle Mountain unit, and um, we kept in contact, and later that fall he joined me elk hunting on the coast and we became good friends. He became a mentor. Um, and, um, you know, from there we, we hunted together a number of years there and, and, uh, enjoyed some great times together. And, and, um, he was probably the one that spawned my interest in building a bow. Uh, uh yeah. And speaking about him spawning those interests in building your bow, I know through, uh, our time we spent together, you talked about in those earlier days, how, Everybody really was into building their own equipment. Uh, you talked about Jim building homemade broadheads, uh, building arrows. I'd love for you to touch on, on some of your guys' uh, equipment that you guys were building at the time, and uh, from arrows to heads to uh, quivers, bows. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I, there was a guy when at that time at the Big Creek, Big Creek Fish Hatchery. I was uh, about 11 miles up the road from a, another friend, his name was Steve Hubler, a uh, hardcore traditional guy, longtime bow hunter, well-known in Oregon. And uh, Steve inspired me because he, 
he built everything uh, from his arrows to his bow quivers to just anything he could build. And he always encouraged me to do that. Um, I was in the habit, like most people are, you just, you go to the store and when you need something, you go to the store and buy it. And he's, he was just the opposite. If you need it, you build it. And so uh, that's what inspired me. I began to build a lot of the things such as my bow quiver and my back quiver and my arrows. And it was kind of a natural progression. Um, over the next couple of years, I began to have a desire to actually build a bow. And, of course, Jim Brackenberry did a lot of the same things, a lot of the equipment that he carried around on his back, whether it was a, a fanny pack or arrows, things like that, he, he made them himself. And uh, those guys back then were, they didn't have archery shops or the Internet to uh, mail order things. And, uh, you know, they it was just kind of a, a lifestyle for them. Um, you know, they, they modified broadheads to make it what they wanted. Um, yeah, didn't you say they were building some broadheads from, like, uh, uh, steel saw blades? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they would take um, regular table saw, steel saw blades, and uh, cut the shape of the broadhead out and then grind an edge on them and, you know, glue them on the wood arrows or, or tie them to a wood arrow. Um, they modified... Uh, other broadheads, uh, remember Jim Brackenberry at one time, uh, I saw him putting the broadhead back in his quiver, caught my eye, and I, I looked at it. It was a bare razor head that wasn't quite wide enough for his taste, and so he glued razor blades to extend the, the blades out. And uh, it was uh, it was an interesting, I asked him, I said, what the heck is that? And he said, well, that's an elk. Elk killing SOB, that's what he said. <laughs> those, those, are, those are different times, I guess, that, that there wasn't as much of variety available, and guys uh, made what they wanted to uh, suit their needs. They did. They did. Yep. Uh, now, w were wood arrows uh, uh, what you started with, or did you start with aluminums, or what was, uh, when you came onto the scene, what was uh, the predominant arrow in guys' quivers? Um, it was, you saw a lot of aluminum arrows and a lot of wood arrows. You know, I started with aluminum arrows that I'd carried over from the few years that I'd shot a compound. Um, I just moved over to shooting a feather fletch and um, a lot of the guys were also shooting wood arrows. Wood arrows for me was the next step um, because I just didn't have the education at that point to know which spine uh, arrow I needed. Um, I just didn't know a lot about arrows. Steve Hubler quickly educated me and, and another fellow in Oregon here, Dave Dorn at the time, was selling wood shafts, and uh, as I began to pick his brain, he um, tell me what I needed. And uh, once I got started with wood arrows, I shot those for many years. Port Orford cedar arrows were the arrow of choice at that time. Yeah, um, very popular shaft at that time. Uh, came out of the Acme plant here in Southern Oregon. They made a uh, shaft called an Acme uh, Premium that was uh, had a burnished finish on it. They were a beautiful shaft. Uh, I still have quite a few that I've rat holed away. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And when did the fur shaft come onto the scene? I first saw fur shafts, um, boy, it was early on, I believe, uh, John Strunk was whittling those things out on a on just a, a homemade board in a small plane. And um, I believe that um, there were a few just hobbyists that were looking to dug fur. Uh, Acme had quit making shafts in the early 90s, and so once the, the supplies dwindled, guys began to look at alternatives. You know, Rose City down here still produces uh, cedar shafts, but um, 
Acme had tried Raymond and some other materials that, that just weren't successful for them. And so a lot of home hobbyists and things began to, you know, make their own uh, arrows, whether it was dug fir, I saw Sitka spruce. I, 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 at one time I'd even tried some ash. Uh, there was all kinds of things being tried. Yeah, <laughs> and I know Norman's got a has this awesome den, you know, that I'm sending in right now with um, you know all kinds of tackle. And if you look through some of his old earlier stuff, he's got these. A lot of guys now my age don't know about them, but you, you, um, they're a compressed cedar. Yes, um, they were compressed cedar uh, by Bill Sweetland. They were called Forgewoods. Uh, that was the top of the line. I can't remember. There was a battle shaft, which was a l- little bit lesser grade, but it was a very unique um, way of taking. Uh, Bill had a, a plant in Eugene, Oregon. I believe it closed um, late 60s, early 70s. He produced uh, these compressed cedar shafts. Um, he basically took uh, billets of cedar and they went into a giant press and uh, the cedar was compressed then cut into squares then went through a doweling machine they were uh, compressed more at the tip end they were they're uh, they're very valuable collectible now if you can find them I still have some in my collection um, they're a very dense heavy shaft very small diameter um, they're that they were pretty pretty unique shaft that that bill developed yeah they're impressive i would yeah. love to eventually get my hands on some there it's a shame they're not still around there it's a, it's a really neat shaft mm-hmm. well um yeah being in oregon i mean we're such a archery rich uh environment and i'm so blessed to grow up uh, uh, here and be involved with uh, traditional archers of oregon and uh, guys like norm johnson and all these uh, names that he's talking about it's just it's a really neat environment to uh, to be around um, why don't we move into your your beginning of bow building and how that went for you and and you know where you know how that evolved? Well, uh, it started out as a hobby business, like I said before. I was working for the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife um, up at, near Astoria, Oregon, and I was just building a few bows in my garage with a few crude tools. And um, the 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 first bow probably was. Uh, built around late 1987, early 88, um, and it was just an evolution of it, the neighbor came over and saw what I was doing and said, hey, build me one, and so I built the neighbor one, and then the next neighbor down the street came over and he wanted one, and so I sold a few uh, bows. They were very cheap. They 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 were what they were. Were they recurves or longbows, takedowns, one pieces, These laminated? Were, yep, they were one piece recurves. And um, I started building a 60 inch and then moved to a 62 inch. During that process, um, I took another job uh, with a contractor down here in Reedsport and relocated to the Reedsport area myself and my wife and two kids at the time. Still kept my, what little equipment I had, was building a few gro- bows out of my garage. And um, I worked in uh, general construction for a couple of years, uh, enjoyed the the work, but um, the bow business slowly began to take off. And there came a time when um, I had enough bow orders that um, I had worked out an arrangement to work in construction a couple of days a week and, and then build bows. But that, that just didn't last too long. I eventually, you know, jumped over to bow building full time. And it was 1991 when 
blacktail bows went full time and, and, and uh, you chose you chose blacktail bows uh, because of the the deer that run through our yard and the deer that we hunt uh, yearly or i mean year round or i guess not year round but uh, in the late season and the early season yeah well i i live in a location i eventually built a shop um on my property um at that time i had a uh, about an acre and a half piece and um since then i've uh, bought property next door to it but uh we're we're out of the city limits um it's uh fa- all family owned property and we just have a lot of blacktail deer on the place they wander through i've got uh, some fruit trees and um lots of green lawn and so they're here all the time and i i see them out the windows of the shop and in the yard and they can become a real nuisance but um it, it seemed like a natural fit so yeah yeah and plus they're they're a, they're, they're a cool animal to hunt yeah they're they're an obsession of mine mm-hmm. uh I think elk, elk is my favorite animal to hunt, but blacktails, for some reason, still get the number one spot. Uh, they're just uh, so elusive and uh, so majestic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's awesome. So the bows uh, started to uh, evolve as uh, as you begin to build them for customers. I, I know um, I've been able to spend a lot of time in the in the uh, shop here and and. Uh, there's a evolution that is that has taken place because I've seen bows get shipped back for refinishing, and I'm like, "You built this?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, 20 years ago." Or yeah, um, black tail bows evolved over the years. Uh, you know, started out uh, like many of the bowyers across the country that you know are, it it begins as a hobby, and you know, it's it's like anything else you do in life. You get better as you repeat the process and do it over over and over again and and it was no different with me and and then uh, um, you know back in 2013 um, the, the business became more than what I can handle the backlog had grown out to uh, almost two years um, trying to run it as sole proprietor just became a real burden um, trying to continue to keep the bows going out the door and I was I was the guy I was uh, you know, the phone guy, I was the janitor, I was the bow finisher, I was the bow maker. And um, it it can become a, a burden. And, and uh, Alan came along at the right time. And and we've now uh, expanded Blacktail Bows and offer a lot more in the way of customer service and better customer service, uh, better quality bows, and, and a lot more variety in, in the ways of models and, and uh, things to choose from and select. So... Yeah, and you seem like a a lot happier guy now too. I mean, you're actually getting some time to go hunting and and uh, to spend with your family. I mean, you were really bogged down, and you were kind of limited to. I mean, you're building a beautiful bow, a top notch uh, craftsmanship, but being having a two year waiting, two and a half year waiting list, I could see it weighing on you. And yeah, yeah, no, it was. Uh, I I do I still work forty hours a week, but uh, I have a life back. So it is. It's been a a tremendous journey and and uh, yeah we'll have to do another podcast in the future and explain all the things that are going on with blacktail bows uh, today what i want to try to keep us from jumping down rabbit holes i just wanted to give a little rundown of uh of who norm is but um today uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna talk bow hunting i know that's disappointing uh, to you guys i promise you uh, uh norm is a, he's a real humble guy and we will get some of this out of him uh, he's an accomplished mule deer hunter. He's an accomplished blacktail hunter, elk hunter, and we'll break that up into segments. and And we're going to get more 
uh, out of out of Norm as time goes on. But today, uh, I really wanted to sit down and talk to Norm about PBS, uh, which is the Professional Bow Hunters Society. And Norm has uh, recently become the president of this organization. And uh, me, as a new member of the organization, I, I want to, uh, you know put that out to everybody and there's a lot of uh myths or uh, lack of information out there that uh, we could uh, cover today and and try to uh, build that membership so um why don't you go ahead and tell us you know how you you know how you got started in pbs uh when it when it got started what it stands for and uh what it means to you well it PBS was, was an organization I became aware of through uh, Vern Struble, who was a longtime Oregon bow hunter, gave back to the sport tremendously. He was from Corvallis, very active member in PBS, bugged me for a number of years in the 90s to join the organization. I was hesitant in the beginning. It's a nationwide organization, and I, I didn't see myself fitting in as far as um, being able to attend uh, their functions uh, or having, you know, communications with members that were scattered throughout the country. So I, I really didn't uh, seek the PBS out. But in 1997, um, I saw it announced that the PBS biennial gathering was going to be in up in Seattle, Washington. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to go ahead and see what the organization was about. So I joined at that time, and then a year later, when the gathering took place up in Seattle, Washington, um, I went up uh, with another gentleman and we attended the function. And it didn't take me but, you know, 10 minutes through the door. And I realized that, that this was an organization that I definitely wanted to be a part of. And um, that everything that it represents, um, you know, falls in line with, with uh, my beliefs in the sport. It... Uh, the Professional Bowhunter Society name itself, a lot of times there's misconceptions that uh, maybe we're hired killers or paid killers because of the name professional, but it, it doesn't reflect that in any way, shape, or form. It refers to being professional in your ethics and your conduct in the outdoors and um, representing uh, the sport of bow hunting um, with high ethics and class. And... Um, you know, it, it, it just, um, uh, you know, in this day and age, it, it just has a lot of uh, uh, things that, uh, uh, with that aspect that, that it brings to the table to help uh, educate younger bow hunters and bring them along in their journey to understand, you know, what we need to be and, and good stewards and and offer the high ethics out in the field. But, uh you know, going back to the the gathering in Seattle, um, I was amazed at uh, you know the the men that I met within the organization were very well known uh, throughout the country. Um, Glenn, Glenn St. Charles, longtime member of the PBS, uh, he was attending, as well as his sons uh, were there as well. Uh, you know, I could, I could name drop forever, Fred Asbell, uh, both of the, the Wenzels, Gene, Barry Wenzel, you know, most anybody that you may have read or heard about have all been members of PBS. M many of them still are members of PBS and, um, just real high quality individuals. Uh, yep. I, I was real new t to this and Norma took me under his wing, uh, 
And he said, hey, there's this PBS gathering going on up in Portland. That was... 2012. 2012. And I, I had been buying copies of traditional Bowhunter magazine. Uh, and I'd seen some of these faces, the Wenzels and Don Thomas and, uh, you, you know, all these guys. And when I walk in there, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't even realize what I was walking into. It was, it was huge. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I couldn't believe how, uh, everybody just welcomed you with, uh, open arms and a handshake and people wanted to sit and get to know, uh, some young guy that uh, was a nobody. I, I was really impressed by the high caliber of these gentlemen and what they uh, had to share and offer, and uh, but was so approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, I have yet to be to go back to one of these, but I plan to attend the next one. It's in uh, Wisconsin. It's in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, next spring, uh, March fifteenth through eighteenth. The, the Portland gathering that you attended in 2012 was actually the celebrated 50th anniversary right. of PBS. Mm-hmm. PBS as an organization start, was founded, I believe, in 1963, uh, which didn't fall. We, our, our biennial gatherings fall on an even year, so we chose to celebrate 50 years in Portland at 2012. And um, uh, that speaks for the organization itself. Uh, one of the things that, that I love about the organization is the doors open for anybody. Yeah, I think we had similar, like the sounds like the Seattle, Washington for you is real similar to the way uh, mm-hmm. Portland, Oregon was for me. And then as I left that uh, and I would read these articles or see stuff, I was like, wait a minute, I that was the guy I had dinner with or mm-hmm. that was the guy that was giving me a tip on this or that. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it is, a, it's an awesome, a really awesome organization. Um, yeah, tell, tell us more. Well, um, the organization, like I say, it's it's open to anybody. We have a very strong traditional culture that has evolved it within the organization. But we are there's a two tier membership. We have an associate member and a regular member. Associate is where you you start at, and there is no difference in the level of membership. In other words, an associate isn't under a regular, and a regular is not under an associate. It's it's all even. But the regular member does have, um, once you uh, apply for regular membership and are approved, you, you now have voting rights within the organization. The, the membership was developed um, back um, during the concept of the PBS in the early years. Um, many people weren't around back then that are going to listen to this podcast, um, but there was there was a definite um, rift between target archers and bow hunting archers, and PBS wanted to f- find its way and it, it, it known as a bow hunting organization. So they adopted a lot of policies that prevented them from being taken over by the target archery industry. So. There are some things that seem a little out of touch and archaic, um, but they're, you know, in other words, one of those is to become a regular member. Um, it requires that, that you've taken eight animals. Um, it's not a killing contest. It, it seems a bit um, out of place for an organization that preaches high ethics. It sounds like they may be um, putting themselves in a position where it's a killing contest and it's not that in any way shape or form it it just shows that the person applying for regular membership has true bow hunting experience 
And that seems to go back to the knowledge through experience, which is the slogan for this organization. Right, right. right. And there, we have a lot of members that have certainly taken a lot of animals and have a lot of experience that just remain as an associate, and that's that's absolutely fine. Um, but um, PBS also took some steps in adopting a minimum draw weights um, for the recurves and the compound bows. So a compound, re- this is an organization that allows all archery tackle. It does. It allows all archery tackle, but we're predominantly, and I, I say this not knowing the exact figures, but we're well above probably 95% traditional. And what happens is we see this over and over again is people that seek out an interest in PBS will, will join the organization um, seeing what we are with an interest in traditional archery, and they soon become mentored and converted over to traditional archery. And and that makes a lot of sense. On the internet forums, a lot of guys, uh, they're like, hey, I'm new to traditional archery. Where do I start? And the first thing uh, everybody tells them was find a mentor, find Mm -hmm. a mentor. Well, this is a place you can come to find a mentor. You you may not uh, be as fortunate as me and get a Norm Johnson because he happens to live 10 minutes down the road from me. Um, but you're going to find a guy that is uh, in this organization that also lives 10 minutes down the road from you who uh, is the caliber of a guy of, of a Norm Johnson. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, you're going to get to form that relationship. That's a great place to look for that quality of, of people. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's really, that's what it's about is, is mentoring. Um, you know, nobody's forced to uh, shoot traditional equipment, but it just seems to happen as a natural curiosity and a progression with a lot of our members that come in, they see the traditional culture and the guys welcome them in with open arms and, and, um, you know, if they have questions, um, you know, it usually doesn't take too long once they get a traditional bow in their hand and they start shooting one, they, they tend to fall in love with it. And that's, you know, it becomes a, a, a life journey for them. And, uh, that really has been a lot of what PBS has done over the years. And, um, it, it, it really has um, become part of a, a journey for, for a lot of men over the years. And these gatherings happen every other year? Tell us more about that. Yeah, the gatherings are every two years. Um, we rotate them around the country. We'll, um, the, the previous gathering in 2016 was in St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, in 2018, it's, uh, the site was selected in Madison, Wisconsin. And we're looking at a site now in the west we'll rotate it out to the west for the year 2020 we haven't chose a site yet but it is due to go back west again and then it'll come back toward the middle of the country two years after that we just we move it around to try to make it available to um at some point in time close by somebody within the organization so they can you know, drive and not have to fly to one of the gatherings. So. Which really helps. I mean, I don't think I would have made it to my first one had it not been within a four or five hour drive. But now uh, I'm already trying to figure out the plane tickets and what I'm gonna, what it's gonna take to get to another mm-hmm. one of these because it was, it was uh, so uh, such a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys do, you do some other uh, uh, other get-togethers. Um. Yeah, the PBS has uh, odd year gatherings. Um, there's these tend to be smaller and they're, they're within statewide organizations that will have a lot of PBS members that will declare a certain gathering as an odd year gathering for the PBS guys to come. 
and it gives a chance for those that may be wondering what the PBS is about or, or the individuals that may be involved in it can show up. And um, you know, if they like what they see, they can sign themselves up as a member. The biennial gathering. Biennial gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, take a rundown on how many days that lasts and what you can expect when you uh, um, attend one of these. They're generally about, oh, two and a half days is the time frame. Um, most guys will come in to the gathering. We we start out with a Thursday night social. Just it's it's a usually a buffet dinner, uh, a couple open bars, and and guys really just you know they'll fly in early and it's a lot of catch up time and it's like meeting family and friends and that you haven't seen for two years and uh, man, many of these guys become lifelong friends. And then uh, Friday morning is is really the the kickoff. And, uh, you know, we'll generally have this at a, a larger hotel that has the facilities for us to bring in vendors, um, bow manufacturers, uh, you know, hunting guides, offering trips, arrow manufacturers, uh, quiver manufacturers. Uh, boy, there's just a variety of vendor book, you know, guys that have written books, uh, selling books. Um, there's just a variety of vendors that will show up and you can purchase goods from them or just browse through what they have. That's always a good, good attraction. Uh, throughout Friday and Saturday, there's there's raffle buckets out, a lot of donated items. You can enter the bucket raffles um, throughout the day. And then we have two full days of seminars that we offer, day seminars. We bring in, you know, knowledgeable speakers throughout the, the next two days, um, given seminar topics on, you know, maybe hunting a specific animal. I've participated several times. I've given seminars on hunting Roosevelt elk and mule deer. Um, We have a guy coming in this year that's going to actually give a seminar on what to look for if you're looking to purchase hunting land on your own. Uh, We cover all kinds of topics. Um, And then both Friday night and Saturday night at the gathering, we have our dinner auctions. they're kind of a formal event. We have uh, a good dinner served and um, generally a, in attendance of, you know, upwards of 350 to 400 people in attendance. We'll have a, uh, after we eat, we'll have a guest speaker. Um, this next year in Madison, our guest speakers are going to be Clay Hayes from Idaho. Oh, very good. Yep. And then uh, our Saturday night dinner speaker will be Nathan Anderson. Oh, I've, I've met both those gentlemen. That's quality. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, they both have a lot to bring to the table. Both will talk on two totally different topics. Uh, Nathan's will be on hunting the Arctic and uh, Clay's. I'm not, I'm not sure what his, he's got a, a variety of topics that he can s- speak on. Um, but uh, those are our main fundraisers, those two dinner auctions. Um, we have a lot of great items from hunting trips to bows to uh, you going jewelry to uh, custom arrows, um, some some actually you know big items, some African hunting trips, um, uh, Hawaiian hunting trips that that are all offered up for auction at those two dinner auctions. So. And, and lots of bows. With the one I went to, I mean, there yeah. was a lot of bows on the table. There, I mean, this is a big big uh, raffle. It's it pretty is. awesome. It is. It is. So. Um, we, we're, that, that's how we're funded, you know, is, is through our membership and then, uh, through the biennial gatherings and the, and the money raised through 
those gatherings. And, you know, throughout those two days, we also have the bucket raffles and silent auctions and some other things that go on. To give there's, there's a competition amongst uh, professional and amateur bow builders and arrow makers and stuff. Is, do you guys still do that? I remember that in Portland. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's called the uh, Jerry Pierce Bowyer Contest, and we have s- several categories. You have the professional category and the amateur. There's a category for self-bows long bows and recurves and they also have the arrow contest um where you you, you submit uh, i believe it's three arrows or there's a single arrow contest and we've just seen some phenomenal stuff come through those contests especially with the arrow makers some very very creative yeah uh, designs yeah i mean even if you're not a building your own stuff it's awesome to get to see these guys are bringing their best work to show off mm-hmm. And to walk those tables, I think I walked round and round and round, picking up these bows and arrows, and seeing uh, you know this this uh, functional art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It it really gives you a chance to showcase um, some of the talent that we have within the membership. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, why don't we touch bases on these? Uh, is it bi-yearly? Is that biennial what? gatherings? Uh, the the ones that are in between. Oh, the odd year gatherings. Yes, the odd year gatherings. Why don't we uh, we touch bases? You said there are smaller groups statewide. What kind of are, are these? Where guys are getting together to hunt or shoot bows or have dinners or banquets? What 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 are those about? Well, there's we're talking probably two separate things. That so the odd year gatherings. Um, I know the Wisconsin guys have a, a big odd year gathering, and um, just recently here a month ago there was one that took place up in baltimore maryland and where a number of pbs guys were in attendance and they had a booth there to offer new signups to bring in new members um there's an odd year gathering that will take place this weekend actually here in uh, the east side of oregon and so these are a very laid back they're they're not structured they're they're basically 3d archery shoots where pbs has a strong presence so, and separate from that is PBS offers up membership hunts. So as a member, um, once you, you know, become involved in the organization, we have the country broken up into nine different regions. And within each region, there's a regional rep. And, um, you know, periodically, some of these guys will, you know, put together a say, for example, a, you know, a, a pig hunt in the state of Georgia, and they say, look, we can, they may post some information on the PBS website, look, we got room for six guys, you know, so the guys will chime in and say, look, I'm in, I'll be there, and uh, they set up the dates and the hunt time, and uh, there was a hunt last year up on uh, Kodiak Island for Sitka Blacktails. Um, I can't remember what the total number of guys was, but uh, they had some success, uh, shot some nice uh, Sitka deer up there. And uh, uh, two years ago, there was a regional hunt out here in Oregon for blacktail deer. Yeah, in southern Oregon. Yep, yeah. in southern Oregon. So these happen across the country. Um, they're probably a little more common in, in the east, but uh, it's just uh, one of the perks of being a member, guys getting together and just enjoy hunting together. and Sharing a campfire. Sharing a campfire and getting to know each other. And uh, there's some great stories come out of these regional hunts. So. And when you're a member, it, it's just a matter of showing up to these things, right? It really is. Uh, you know, sometimes they're limited on space. It can be a first come, first serve uh, when the when the hunt's announced. But um, uh, 
you know, it, but it's, you know, they're, they're there and available from time to time. So that's really awesome. What are some of the other, um, perks or, uh, um, you know, advantages of, be, of being a member of PBS? Well, you know, I've just found for my, my own, uh, you know, other guys, everybody belongs maybe for a different reason, but for me, it's just the caliber of the individuals that belong to the organization. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to do an elk hunt with uh, the PBS council guys I served on back in 2011 in the Eagle Cap Mountains of Eastern Oregon. We had a fellow from Illinois, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Virginia, um, two of us, two or three of us from Oregon uh, that all participated on this hunt together. You know, we spent a week in the mountains together, sharing a camp, sharing a campfire, and it, it was just a phenomenal time to be in the woods with the guys. You, you, when you have an opportunity to share a campfire with guys this caliber, um, guys that are laid back, that um, take a, a little bit more of a lighthearted approach. And this was a wilderness hunt, and you guys went in, I believe, with Jim Akinson and some of his stock? Is yeah, that? we did. Uh, Jim offered up to pack us in with his mule stock, and uh, a couple of us walked that weren't willing to get on the stock. So. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it was just it was a great time. It was a great hunt, and probably no different than any of the other membership hunts that, that the guys are going on. And um, you just um, it, it's a great feeling to share a camp with, with guys that um, – are all getting along, share the same values and the high ethical standards uh, that we shared. So, that, yeah, and I think that's what goes back to the to the name and, and understanding what mm-hmm. professional yep. uh, is referring to. It's it's a higher caliber of of men and and uh, you know maybe speak to why uh, a new young guy to this would would want to be involved. Well, it's just a it, it, it's a great place to uh, learn from men that have um, had a long career or journey, um, you know, shooting a bow and bow hunting. And, um, most of these guys, if not all of them are just very open about, um, you know, uh, a welcoming attitude. I, I see it on, on the PBS website forum. Guys will join us, new members and chime in, chime in, introduce themselves and guys right away respond and welcome them into the organization. And, and they may chime back later and say, Hey, I'm, you know, wanting to switch over to wood arrows and what, you know, what, what do I need to do? And the, the help is right there immediately. Or, or I'm thinking about, you know, doing a elk hunt out West, maybe the state of Utah, anybody been there, can, can you help me out? And it, you get guys immediately chime in. It's just, it's just really belonging to a, a family, a fraternity that, that offers up a, a lot of good information, a, a lot of fellowship, um, uh, mentorship, uh, all of the above. That that seems super valuable. I know. I know it has been for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, uh, I see that you guys are definitely always trying to recruit numbers um, as an organization. What is uh, the approximate uh, membership now, um, and what what are some of the goals uh, for PBS? Well, um, PBS's membership is. Um, you know it's it's strong right now, but we're we're always looking to make it stronger. Uh, there is a lot of competition these days um, because there's many more organizations. There's Compton's traditional 
uh, only organization that, um, you know, I don't want to say we're in direct competition, but we really are um, all compete at some point in time. There's a lot of state organizations out there anymore. And, you know, people are busy these days. They, you know, with jobs and families and other things going on, they just can't belong to every organization. And so we, we do have to, in a way, compete to uh, continue to recruit new members into the organization and kind of explain who we are and what we are and, you know, the benefits of belonging to PBS. So, um, you know, that's been kind of my uh, thing, I guess, as, as president coming in is to become uh, a little more proactive than we've been in the past about um, recruiting new members, especially younger guys in. Um, we can already see the benefits of, of the younger crowd coming in because uh, some of us old codgers don't uh, do a whole lot in the in this social media realm, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, and that sort of thing, and even, even website traffic, and, and it really is become the way that the younger generation communicates. Right, like even, even just what we're doing today exactly. in, in podcasting. Mm-hmm. And so... If we can, you know, bring this younger generation in and, and help us old guys to kind of join the, the more modern ways of communicating, um, the organization's going to definitely benefit from that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm really looking forward. I mean, it's awesome to get to know uh, the, the guys that are seasoned, but it, as, a, as a guy that's 38 years old, I'm excited too to meet guys my age and guys younger than me that, um, that I'm going to be running around in the woods with uh, mm-hmm. and future hunts and whatnot. It, it seems to offer a whole variety of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really awesome. And I see that you guys uh, have a new website that seems to be up and moving and um, looks like there's a lot of uh, possible moving parts to that. And like you said, the more social media and uh, looks like a, a YouTube channel and mm-hmm. these type of things. It's, uh, it seems pretty exciting. Right. We're, the, the website is, is fairly new. We just went live with it um, in, in early May. And um, it's a work in progress. Um, it's all done on a very limited budget. Uh, with volunteer hours with um, our PBS guys. Our, our current council with PBS right now is made up of myself as president, Matt Schuster is the vice president, and Rob Burnham is our senior counsel. Rob is out of West Virginia, I believe, and he's done a lot of the, the work on the uh, the new website with the help of my business partner, Alan Pope. And um, it it needs more updating it needs more work but you know we 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 do this as we can it's you know it's all on a volunteer unpaid basis and uh but it it looks pretty good and you know we have a very active forum with guys on there daily exchanging information it looks like it's come a come a long way for sure yeah now you mentioned you are the president the current president and i know you have kind of worked your way up in the ranks why don't you tell us a little bit about uh you know your personal uh, growth in, in PBS? Well, I'll, I'll back up a bit because I did mention the vice president and the senior councilman. Uh, we have two other councilmen, uh, Ethan Rodrigue from Tennessee and Dr. Tom Van Ash uh, from Albany, Oregon. Oh, he's a friend of mine. Yep. And um, so we have a three councilmen, a vice president and a president. And I guess we're, you could be considered we're we're kind of the decision makers within the organization um, as far as, you know, keeping the organization moving forward and initiating the projects such as the new website, the membership drive, 
um, recruitment of new members, um, taking care of the applications for regular membership. Um, the home office is in Terrell, North Carolina. Uh, Jack Smith and Brenda Kisner worked out of the home office for years and uh, great people. I don't know what we'd do without them. Um, so as far as myself, uh, I was asked to serve, uh, if I would run uh, for council back in 2008. And uh, so I, I ran for council against um, another opponent uh, in 2008. Um, and I took office, I won the election and took office in 2009. And um, at that time, it's a three-year term. Uh, at that time, we were uh, setting up our biennial gathering in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so I ended up on an airplane headed for Nashville. We laid the groundwork with the help of the other councilmen at that time and, and um, had our gathering there a year later in 2010. I finished my term on council in uh, 2012. I ended my three-year term and then I stepped out for um, about two years. Uh, I was con continually asked to run for vice president, but my blacktail bow business had kept me so busy that it, I, I just didn't have the time. But um, in 2000, uh, I'm trying to recall the dates, I believe it was in 2015, I did run for vice president um, against uh, an incumbent, and uh, I lost by just a handful of votes, but um, uh, that opened up another chair position, uh, which they appointed me to uh, as senior councilman, and then later moved into the vice president's seat, and then ended that term last year and was asked to run for president, so I did, and was elected president, so here I am today. Mr. President. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, this is really exciting. I think PBS is uh, a really awesome organization. Even if you're brand new to bow hunting, I think you guys should really give it a look. You should see what they're doing in your area on a state level. Uh, you should get involved. You should go meet these gentlemen. It's a high, high quality uh, group of individuals. And, yeah, I, and I also want to touch that uh, you also um, – you guys are really looking for new membership, and there is a uh, uh, a giveaway. Um, it's, I believe it's a $1,300 gift certificate towards a blacktail bow, custom-built bow, that's happening right now uh, towards uh, new members right. signing up. Right. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, that's just basically what it is. If you um, are so inclined to, you like what you see with PBS and you join, uh, your name goes in the hat. If you're currently a member and you pay the dues on a new member, your name goes in the hat. Whoever pays the dues for that individual, you might be a member that takes the initiative to sign up five or six new guys. If you do, your hat, your name will be in the hat, you know, five or six times. So um, it's just part of the promotional drive. We'll we'll draw a name in Madison next year. You don't need to be present to win, um, but um, just um, you know put some uh, blacktail bows, want to put some incentive out there to get guys interested in looking at PBS and, and uh, try to recruit some new members in. Well, that's awesome. My, my name is getting put in the hat today. So <laughs> yes, that, it is. that's going to be great. Um, well, TradQuest podcast, uh, we are a traditional bow hunting podcast, 
and we can't end this without without a hunting story. And I told you guys that we are going to uh, you know save uh, Norm for some bow hunting. But why don't we? Why don't you try to drum up a bow hunting story for us that is directly related to PBS? Like maybe you know it doesn't have to be on a kill or it just maybe uh, tell us about this uh, eagle cap trip if you can think of a a, a, a story from that trip or, or tri- any anything related to PBS where you were on a hunt with some of your PBS brothers. Uh, we'd, we'd love to finish this out with a good hunting story. Well, I have a great story. It, it uh, didn't end quite the way that uh, the two fellows that were with me for the day, um, uh, the two of the guys that were on our Eagle Cap hunt were um, uh, Brian Tessman, who's a former councilman, uh, he's from Wisconsin, and uh, Greg Darling, who I also served on council with. Greg was from Michigan. Um, both great guys. Um, both, I believe, had some elk hunting experience. Uh, not a lot, but uh, they were really excited to be there. We left camp that day. I was going to be their designated caller. And so you're in the wilderness. Yep. And you guys are packed back in there on Jim's stock, mm-hmm. um, and, and you're hunting Rocky Mountain Elk. We're hunting Rocky right, Mountain in, in Elk. In September. September, uh, Northeast Oregon. And we're we're in there. The rut is really starting to get fired up. Um, had spotted a, a herd bull the day before in the basin we were in. And he was probably a, a mile or two out from camp. So the next morning I grabbed uh, Greg and Brian, and, and we took off across the basin made our way over there and the bull was was bugling he had a lot of cows i knew it would be very difficult to uh draw this bull off of his cows we had some wind issues um and, and what and t- talk about those what are those wind issues for not everybody hunts elk uh in in these big mountains you know maybe tell us a little bit about that well it, in the high country when you have good weather systems and i'm talking good high stable high pressure weather systems in the morning hours, when the air temperature is cool, <coughs> the air will drop. And so your winds are predominantly moving downhill. As the sun rises up overhead and begins to heat the air up, the thermals begin to rise. And so you have a time in the mornings, um, and it can range anywhere from 9 o'clock till noon, somewhere in that time frame, the wind's going to turn around and move, start moving uphill. And... By the time we got over to these elk, we were at a position where the thermos didn't just didn't seem to want to make up their mind. They were trying to switch over from the the early morning stuff to the the midday thermos, and uh, we were experiencing some side to side movement. A lot so, of wind swirl. A lot of wind swirl. So to have to try to move in on this bull, we didn't want to blow him out. Uh, but as we moved in and began to assess the situation, uh, we heard another bull bugle, and I you know, kind of peek down over the edge of the hill, uh, probably a couple of hundred yards away and spotted a beautiful five by five bull, satellite bull. Uh, he obviously was thrown out of the herd and, and, um, I told Brian and, and Greg that I said that that's the bull we're going to call in. And so got both of them in position. I backed up behind him and just threw a, a handful of cow calls out there and he immediately came up the hill to us bugling all the way and slobbering all over himself and mm, yes he he walked up the hill uh straight towards brian brian will probably want to throttle me for telling this story but it, i think it was probably around 15 yards the bull turned broadside and 
Brian shot right over the top of his back, and the bull bolted down the hill, and I threw another cow call at him, stopped him again, and he stopped in front of Greg, and Greg proceeded to shoot underneath him. Mm. And he whirled out and was gone. And poor Brian, I looked over there, his head was kind of hanging, and I joked with him. I said, you know, it's not an issue, Brian. He was only the size of a billboard, and we both got a laugh out of it. And he got his revenge later on because at the tail end of that trip, I missed a bull, and Brian happened to be watching me on that situation, and he basically repeated what I had told him and rubbed it in a little bit. So it was all good fun and and uh, great experience, and memories will always always take home. So. Ah, oh, that 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 that's a great story. There's yeah. nothing like elk hunting. Yeah. Well, great, Norma. I really appreciate uh, uh, the whole rundown on PBS. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone should definitely look into this organization. It's worth your time, and I look forward to getting you back on here so we can talk. Uh, I think we're going to talk open country mule deer, high country mule deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I sit here, uh, I'm looking at a bunch of big velvet bucks on the wall that Norm has been fortunate enough to take with traditional tackle. And I believe you've got a hunt planned with uh, Van Ash. I do. Uh, uh, and so th- we'll try to get together with uh, maybe both you guys and get a recap of that hunt uh, um, when uh, hunt season gets over. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Once again, thanks for joining us. That was a great interview with Norm Johnson, uh, the Professional Bow Hunter Society. is an awesome place to meet new friends and hang out with like-minded people. If you're on the fence on PBS, join one of their uh, functions and you'll see that there is a lot of great guys uh, and a lot of great things going on in that organization. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, TuneIn, Blueberry. Check us out on our website at tradquest.com. Also, go to Facebook and Instagram And I've got some big news coming up, starting on episode 10. I can't wait to tell you guys about it. Thanks so much for tuning in, and always, shoot straight.